0: We think about Rehoboam and Jeroboam and how Israel got divided into two nations and there are many kings of the north and south and ultimately the, the north was taken by the Assyrians and, um, and the Babylonians took the south. And so Chronicles gives us a complete history of Israel up to that time. If you looked at the... And I learned something the other day. Remember how when we were together going through First Chronicles... I had Brother McKee read some of the verses there with all those names. He told me he purposely messed up on some just so he didn't seem like a know-it-all. Can you believe he had per- per- purposely mess up on the Word of God? I couldn't believe that. So he's got a sore throat tonight, so when his throat's better, he's going to read that again and do it right next time, okay? If you, if you want a job still, you're going to read it right. If you want a house to live in with electricity you're going to read it right next time and uh that's a good empty threat there (laughs) and so but when we look at this the very first word is adam the last word of second chronicles is they're taken into exile and there's a return from exile at the end of the book second chronicles here it covers about 400 years of israel's history and focuses on the house of david and the history of judah the southern kingdom now you might say, what's our outline? The outline for the book is pretty simple. I know there are lots of chapters here, but literally you could break this down into two points. First of all, number one, in the outline you have Solomon's reign. And that would cover years, uh, chapters one through nine. It's the first half of Kings. It talks about the building of the temple, the dedication of the temple. There are some things that are said that we see here in 2 Chronicles, that you don't see in 1 Kings when it comes to the temple and things that are said. We're going to look at that in a few minutes in chapter number 7. And so simple outline starts with Solomon's reign, chapters 1 through 9. And then number 2, we see Judah's kings for 350 years. And that covers chapters 10 <coughs> through chapter 36. It tells us all about the southern kingdom after they broke into two different um, Kingdoms, and it ends with the Babylonians conquering and deporting them into captivity. For Second Chronicles, here it covers about twenty kings in all, and it was written around probably five hundred B.C. or later, right towards the end of the captivity and right before they came back to settle in Jerusalem. And so, there are lots of things you could go through, and there's a great study you could do on all the kings and so much you could glean from there. But I want you to go with me to the last paragraph, the last section, the last chapter, chapter 36. And I want to show you some things tonight to be a help in our lives from 2 Chronicles. And sometimes we look at these books, and if you like, how many of you like history? Then you're going to be the ones that really enjoy reading through things like this. There are some of you that don't like history, and so the history of Israel and all that, that's not going to thrill you as much as it does some other people, I love history. I love reading through <coughs> Israel's history in these things. When we look at the last couple verses, we look at chapter 36, <coughs> verse number 22. The Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. And he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you of all his people. The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. After all the tragedy and all the things that happen throughout the book of 2 Chronicles. And basically Jerusalem is destroyed by the end. The temple's destroyed. They're taken into captivity for a, lo- a lo- long time. 70 years. At the end of the book we see some hope given. And new life to a lost and struggling people. Who would have thought that a heathen king. The king of Persia, Cyrus. Would be the one to bring hope and revival to God's people. We see that there's some things, and you look at what he says in verse 23 there. It says, The Lord God and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. We see not only his hope given, but we also see the temples mentioned again. An order to build a temple beginning begins in the book, and then now at the end, they're going to rebuild the temple. Solomon built it, that temple's destroyed, and now plans are made to build a second temple. And we see that once again, that God just continues to work on and through his people. And I want to remind you of something. Israel has had two temples. The first one was Solomon's, that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, as we've read. There was a second temple. And that second temple, that's the one that they're getting ready to build after this, and we'll read about it as we go through some more of the Old Testament books. And that temple was destroyed in about 70 AD. There's one more temple going to be built. And that temple has to be built for all the prophecy of the book of Revelation to unfold before our eyes. And so there's talk about it often about Israel and that temple. It's believed that most of the furniture is ready to go for this temple. And so when you hear about a third temple in Jerusalem, we know that the end is getting close because that's a very important thing to how it all goes. Now I want you to see and I want you to go back with me. A lot of times we like to quote some verses here in 2nd. If someone were to say what is the most famous verse in 2nd Chronicles? Most people would say chapter 7 verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my and turn from their wicked ways. Let's go there for a second. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 7. We see a promise that God made to the children of Israel. I want to remind you as we look at it tonight that this, this promise from God was not written to America. It was written to Israel. There are principles that we can apply and see and God does revive his people when they get right with him. And revival is key, and tonight we're going to focus on several different revivals that take place in Second Chronicles, and that's going to be the meat of the message this evening. But well, I want you to understand something. Yes, it's a sp- specific promise made to Israel, God's chosen people, but that being said, we can learn from it and see how God works when it comes to revival. It also is, you've got to understand something, it's not a bad pattern <coughs> for us Christians to live by today what we see here in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. And I want you to look down with me at verse number 12. The Bible says, 2 Chronicles 7, verse number 12, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their lands. This is a promise God made to the children of Israel. I believe it's something that we could look at and it would be a great pattern for America to follow. It's not a promise to America, but it is a great pattern to follow. And when we talk about these things, and when we look at things, I want you to understand something. Just be careful, and there are a lot of people out there that like to take America and plug America into the Bible, and you cannot find America one time mentioned in the Bible, okay? Don't one ever get caught. You cannot. There are many that say that Babylon is talking about America. That's not, it's the idea, it's this one world idea of being greater than God that goes back to the Tower of Babel. So when Babylon, the great, has fallen, that's not referring to America. And people like to throw, just America's not mentioned, okay? Say, why isn't America mentioned? Because God chose not to mention America in there. Realize, till a couple hundred years ago, America didn't even exist. And God moved along just fine without America, and he'll move along just fine with or without America. America has no special blessing of God. Any nation can have some of God's blessing if God is the God of that nation. And if you'd be careful about those things, then we could go so much into all those things. But I want to focus in tonight, <clears throat> for a little bit of time, what I believe the theme of the book is. And the theme of 2 Chronicles is revival in a wicked country. And we see it happen several times. And we see that Israel is really wicked. And we see that Judah, there's so, many, so much wickedness that takes place But then we see that God will raise up a godly king and the nation will have a time of revival for a little bit of time before they go back into their wickedness. And we see it over and over again in this book. I want you to understand something tonight. We need revival today. The people of God do. And there's several things I want you to see and I want to show you tonight five revivals that take place during this 400 year period in 2nd chronicles. And I want you to see what we're going to find is the causes and the evidence of that revival in the nation of Israel and seek to apply some of those truths to our lives and how we can use these things and apply these truths for us today. What brought revival to Israel or to Judah in the midst of all the wickedness and the wicked leaders, the wrong worship, all the things that happened? What brought revival in those days? 5 and that'll be the message tonight. Number 1. We see a heart for sacrificial giving. <clears throat> a heart for sacrificial giving. We think of King Asa. Now, once you write that down, I want you to go with me to chapter 2 Chronicles chapter number 14. And we're going to read a couple verses in chapter 14. And we're going to read a few verses in chapter 15. So 2 Chronicles chapter 14 And look at verse number 1, it says, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his stead. In the days the land was quiet ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now go to chapter number 15, and go down to verse number 8. And when Asa heard these words, and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon and they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoils which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant <clears throat> to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever should not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man man or woman. When we go down to verse number 18 of chapter 15. It says, And he brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the five and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa. We see letter A as we talk about a mini revival that took place in Judah, We see the people at that time, and what led to it was they had a heart for sacrificial giving to the Lord. Our hearts, guess what, will always follow our treasures, and our treasures will always follow our hearts. Asa renewed the altar of the Lord so they could come to make offerings to God. The place of sacrifice had fallen into disuse during his father's time as king, And Asa renewed that altar so people could bring their offerings to God once again. The prophet Azariah preached to Asa, and Asa led God's people in this area. You see, when we talk about it, we don't understand what sacrificial giving is all about today. We give out of abundance, not out of sacrifice. We know that to be true sacrificial giving there used to be a day when there was a need that the church might have that people would sacrificially give for where your treasure is there will your heart be also so let me ask you tonight and i'm not trying to pry into your life but we talk about wanting revival in our lives does your bank ledger show who you your, or i will tell you this your bank ledger Shows who you worship. Is God found anywhere in your bank ledger tonight? He should be. Pastor, if I have it, I give it to God. That's not a great way to live. God should be important. He should get the fruits of all of our increase. Every believer, every Christian, We say, well, pastor, we want revival in our day. One of the signs of revival in Asa's day was the fact that they gave sacrificially to the things of God. You know, we got money for what we want to have money for. Hey, show me what your bank ledger is and I'll tell you who you worship. Say, pastor, I worship God. Do you tithe? That's a good question. Well, no. You should. Say, pastor, are we short on money tonight that we need money? No. We're doing just fine. And one thing you got to remember, and one of the things I've learned, I'm getting, I'm getting better at this after going on 10 years, there used to be like today, I knew we were going to have we had at least 11 or 12 families gone today, and uh, several families are sick, and that used to stress me out that, oh no, who's, I don't care about any of that anymore. I learned to enjoy who's here. Get to that point, because you're like, look at all those who are missing out on things from, well, what about all the ones who are here? That's the thing. We don't need your money, and God don't need your money. You are missing out on the benefits of God by not giving to Him. That's what it comes down to. You know, the church functions just fine if you tithe or if you don't. I think God would do greater things in our church if more people did get on board and do what we're supposed to do. How can God bless us to do the things of God if we're not faithful in the little things? But we see that the people, Asa, he fixed the altar and people they sacrificially gave. And that's important. And we need to be a part of those things and we need to make sure that God's important to us and that the things of God are. Imagine what we could do for the cause of Christ if we all sacrificially gave to God. We say, well, if I have it, I'll do it. There comes a point, a tithe should be given to God. I've had people come to me, pastor, pastor, I have my bills, or I give to God. What do I do? I never tell anybody what to do. Never. Because that's up to you. You've got to figure out what to do. But I do know that God takes care of his people, and you should obey him. But you decide what to do, not me. You say, Pastor, I want, I want revival in my life. You're like, man, I came to hear about 2 Chronicles tonight. I didn't know the pastor was going to talk about giving. You want signs of revival? Or say, God... It all belongs to you anyways. So I don't know if you realize something. Everything we have belongs to him. It does. And it would be a good day for all of us. And I know some days it's not as easy to do. But it would be a good day to realize everything you have is his. That car you drive, he gave it to you. Take good care. You say, have you seen my car? It breaks down every other day. Blah, blah, blah. God gave it to you. Take good care of it. Belongs to Him. I couldn't pick people up for church in my car. My car's tonight. Oh, be careful. Everything that God's given to us. Remember what we talked about this morning? Everything should be for His glory. That includes your checkbook. God called us. And let me just remind you about this. When you hear the, a need, are you willing to give? All of us should be. We see that the people of Israel and we see a mini revival break out. Why? Number one. Because at one point they had a heart for sacrificial giving. We see that in Asa and Asa's day. Number two, and we're off of that one now. You can relax now. Some of you, I see the faces turn a little red, and I see it just tense up just a little bit. As I said, it's your blessing you're missing out on. And you do whatever you do what the Lord leads you to do. Let's go to number two so we can move on here. <coughs> We see the people at a heart for outreach. See it in Jehoshaphat. Why don't you go with me to chapter number 17 and look at verse number 1. And Jehoshaphat was Asa's son. And it says in Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrison in the land of Judah and the cities of Ephraim which Asa's father had taken. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not after Balaam, but sought to the Lord God and to his father and to walk in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor and abundance. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord, Moreover he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. Also in the 3rd year of his reign he sent to the princes even to Ben-haile and to Obadiah and Zechariah and to Nathanael and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And I don't mess up on purpose for you. That's just how it comes out of my mouth. <clears throat> and with them he sent Levites, even Shemaiah and we go through all these names again. And um, the priests, and go down to verse number 9, And they taught in Judah, and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and went about throughout all the cities of Judah. And look what they did. They taught the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the land that were round about Judah, so that no, so they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Is Judah had peace during this time? And we see that Asa's son Jehoshaphat here, he had a desire to teach the people about God. And through having that desire to teach others about God, that he began to influence the nations around them. Revival comes to a life, to a church, to a nation, when they get a burden and consumed about telling people about who God is and what he has done for them. Why do we support missionaries? Why do we make much of those things? Why do we push soul winning? We push it because that's the heartbeat of God to witness and to share the gospel, and we cannot get revival. I want you to understand something. God didn't call us to sit here all comfortable in our chairs tonight, simply rejoicing that we're saved. No, He called us to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to share it with people around us through personal soul winning, (coughs) through ministry... through ministries of the church, through different avenues, and that's one of the things that God has for us. We see that revival was brought and peace was brought to Judah when they had a heart for outreach. We talk about revival. We see they had a heart for sacrificial giving. See, number two, they had a heart for outreach. Number three, we see they had a heart for the house of God, Joash, In Bible college, I'll never forget a sermon I heard on a night bus. It was about Joash. If you want to know the title of it, I'll tell you after church if you come ask me what the title of it was. There's nothing bad about the title, but it doesn't sound very good when you say it. You know, get off Joash. That was what the title of the message was. I said it for you there. And it was one I never forgot. But Joash, he had a heart for God's house. Look at chapter 24. Go to chapter 24. says, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. Can you you imagine a seven-year-old being king? Michael, you're eight, right? Okay, okay, yeah. (laughs) Easy there, kid. And William's eight. Jenna, how old are you? You're six. And so Alyssa's seven. Could you imagine Alyssa being queen? She would want to be. (laughs) Uh, There's no doubt she tries to be the queen in our house. I'm like, no, 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 no. But can you imagine seven years old running a kingdom? That's crazy. It says, and look at verse number two, And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jedediah the priest. And Jehoiada, t- Jehoiada took for him two wives, and he begat sons and daughters. And it came to pass after this that Joash was minded to repair the house of the Lord. And it says he gathered together the priests and the Levites, and he says, go out into the seas of Judah and gather all of Israel's money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that ye hasten the matter, howbeit the Levites hastened it not. And the king called for Jehoiada the chief and said to him, why hast thou not required the Levites to bring in out of Judah and out of Jerusalem the collection according to the commandments of Moses, the servant of the Lord And we see he goes through all these different things. And what we see happen was um, we see the fact that he had a burden, he had a heart for God's house and fixing it. You see, by the time it gets to this point, Israel had let the house of God. It wasn't a priority. Those who had come before and God raises up Joash and Joash had it in his heart for God's house. Let me just remind you of something tonight. God's house to Joash was a priority. It had become dilapidated. They were putting their efforts into serving, worshiping, attending, and sacrificing at God's house, and that brought revival to them when they got their focus back on the things of God. In our country today, you see a direct correlation with our attitude towards the house of God and the spiritual condition of our nation. It used to be several years ago, 20, 25 years ago, it was a normal thing for families to go to church. A A good Christian in the 70s and 80s went to church more than one time a week. You know that's true. We say good Christians today are the ones who go three times in a month. That's not a good Christian, just so you know. I'm just letting you know. That's what we say is a good Christian today. It is hard to get people to go to God's house today. And listen, I want you to understand something. I am all for vacations. The families that are gone today from church, they should go on vacation. It's good for them to get away. But I also encourage them, you're gone, Sunday morning, find a church for your family to go to. Say, oh, but I'm with my family and everything else you could take one hour and go to church wherever you're at. I'm not asking you to go on a Sunday night or even a Wednesday night when you're with your family. Take one Sunday morning and go when you're on vacation. I pray that those who are out of town today that they did that. God's house has become, it's not a priority in the lives of God's people anymore. And we want revival, but church, you've got to understand something. Why is God going to give revival to us when we can't sacrificially give, when we don't have a heart for outreach, when we don't have a heart for God's house, and we say, God, we, won't thou revive us again? We want revival. Revival is simply doing the things that we're supposed to do. We think that a revival means we have, oh, we have a rev- an evangelist come in, and everything's just going to magically change. That's not how it works. You get a heart for the things of God, and God works. Imagine what God could do if we get a hold of these. God's house needs to be a priority for the people of God. We find any excuse we can to miss. Oh, we overwork, pleasure, hobbies, kids' activities, school, and a revival of love and faithfulness to the house of God needs to happen. <coughs> we get mad at churches today because they are entertainment centers like. You know why they do that? Because they need to get people to come. Saved children of God should not have to be begged to come to church. And let's be honest real quick. I should never have to call you to see why you haven't been in church. Do you know how much more could be done for the cause of Christ if I would be able to go out and reach new people Instead of trying to keep the ones who call this their church, keep them faithful to church? Think about that. When you say, Pastor, this message is not what I was expecting from 2 Chronicles. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you want spiritual revival and God's blessing? I think everyone would say you would. You know why people don't get it? Because they're not willing to do the things that lead to revival. They had a heart for God's house. Next, are you ready? Number four. We've only got two more. I'm going to make one last statement and then we'll be done. Number four. We see a heart for holiness and worship. And we see that with King Hezekiah. <coughs> chapter 29, and we could, let's start, go to chapter 29. In verse number one. It says, and Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He in the first year of his reign in the first month opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east streets. And said unto them, look at what it says here, hear me. Ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and have done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitations of Israel and turned their backs also they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon them in Jerusalem. They have delivered them to trouble to astonishment and to hiss as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath wrath may turn away from us. My son, be not now negligent for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him to serve him that you should minister unto him and burn incense. You go down to verse number 16 and see how the temple was cleansed and sanctified. We could go back up, and when we think about the word sanctify, that means set apart. Sanctified, holy, very similar words. Same idea there. In this passage, you notice that they were known as sanctified and cleansed. Always, and I mentioned it this morning, sometimes we come to church and we sit at church, and we want to worship God. But you cannot sing... Or worship him corporately like you really want to because you've lived like the devil all week long. And you feel like a hypocrite to worship God in God's house around all the other Christians when you've lived the life you've done all week long. I mentioned this morning, try it this week. You're going to fail. You will. None of us will be perfect this week. In fact, how many of you would admit from this morning to tonight you messed up with something? my hands up. I did. Yep. And it happens and some of you are thinking, I don't know if I did. Maybe you sat at home in your own little bubble and no one got to you that, but I'm sure, I'm sure there are multiple things that I messed up on today. But I promise you this, live this week and try your very best to give God glory in everything that you do. What you watch on television, what you listen to, what you look at on the internet for a week, do your best bring glory to God in everything that you do and come next Sunday and tell me if your worship is better than what it was this last week it will be every single time we see and something I I want you to understand something is we set ourselves up for a great fall and our private life doesn't match our public life I have seen so many pastors where their private life and their public life are opposites Their public life, they act like the most godliest person ever. And then in private, they're exact opposite of that. See, church, one of the things that we got to remember, we need to, as the Bible says here, we need to focus on our private life and doing what's right. Sanctify yourself. You are a set-apart child of God. You want revival? You need a heart for holiness. Say, well, like, what? What are you talking about? Think with me for a minute. What wickedness are you going to allow into your life this week? You say, but pastor, I can't not, you're not going to be perfect, and I'm not expecting anyone to be perfect. I was talking to someone this morning. (coughs) and Sometimes I feel like we beat ourselves up a little too much, too. The Bible says David in his psalm of repentance, he says, for he knoweth our frame." He remembers that we're dust. He knows we're not going to be perfect, and he doesn't expect perfection. He does expect you to grow, and he expects you to have a heart for him. But think about this week: revival, a heart for holiness. What wickedness will you allow into your life this week? What website will you visit? What music will you listen to? What Netflix movie? There are a lot of bad ones on Netflix. There are. What television? What conversation? You see, you look with me, and you see, one thing you got to remember is you will never get revival without a heart for holiness. And look down at chapter 29, that's where we're at, look down in verse number 27. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offerings upon the altar. And when he had burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord also began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of an offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Holiness leads to worship. Worship was sacrifice singing, using your gifts for the Lord, humility. And I want you to understand something. Holiness should be a part of every Christian's life. And that's Bible. I'll give you a lot about holiness. We're going to move on because I know some of you were not expecting any of these things tonight from Second Chronicles. Number five and lastly. You want revival? You need a heart for the Word of God. Josiah. <coughs> Will you go with me to chapter number... Um, 34, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And look at verse number 15. The Bible says, And Hilkiah answered and said to um, Shaphan the, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king. And brought the king word back in saying all that was committed to thy servants they do it. And they had gathered themselves together the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And have delivered it into the land into the hand of the overseers into the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king saying Hilkiah the priest have given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. And go down to verse number 29. It says, And then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Israel. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place And made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in the book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. The inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of the countries that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Messiah had a heart for the Word of God. Why have church three times a week? Why encourage people to have a personal time in the Word of God? Why do those things? Because we need the Word of God. The blessings of God always follow after the teaching of His Word. God's Word is so important. We see five times throughout Second Chronicles, revival came to the people of God. And I know that every Christian would probably say that they want revival in their lives. So think to yourself tonight. Do you have a heart for giving to God? You should. Every Christian should. After all he's given to us, it should be nothing for us to give a little bit to him. We need a heart for giving. Hey church, we want to have a revival and have a great 2020. You want to know some of the secrets to it? We need a heart for sacrificial giving. We need a heart for outreach. 8 people went out yesterday for outreach. 8. And it's been less than that lately. How can God work in the midst of us if we don't even go out and witness? You say, Pastor, I do it on my own. I hope you do. And you don't have to go to a soul winning time to be witnessing. You can witness anytime. time. You say, I want a heart for, I want revival. We need to have outreach. We need to be witnessing. As the new year approaches, maybe let's make these things important in our lives. Let's learn to give sacrificially to God. Let's have a heart for outreach. Let's have a heart for the house of God. Man, love God's house. This is a gift that he's given to us. This is his church. Make it a priority in your life. This is the problem, and those of you who have younger kids here, you've got to understand something. You don't make much of God in his house, your children are going to make less than you do. Now, that's a scary thing to me. You know, my parents, we were at church every time the doors were open. And even we were there sometimes when the doors were locked and we couldn't even get in. For some reason, we were still there. Church work day, we were always there. So your parents must not have had a life, my dad worked 50, 60 hours a week. Saturdays, you know what he did with his free time on Saturday? He said, Saturday's my day for myself. You know what my dad did for years? He fixed buses every Saturday so children could be picked up on Sundays. Say what did he do all week long? He worked on diesel vehicles all week long. I remember Thanksgiving one year, the day after Thanksgiving, there was a bus that a spring had broke, and the bus almost fell on him. That's why I remember it so well. Didn't quite get the right jack underneath it, and he put the jack on dirt. That wasn't a smart idea to do, and the bus almost fell on him. But you know what they taught me? The work of God's important, and that's carried on in my life. I want William, Alyssa, David, Matthew, to realize that the things of God are very important. I need a sacrificial heart for God, for giving, because my kids are going to grow up and they need to see that dad gave to God. They need to see that their dad had a heart to go witness and share the gospel with people, not because he was a pastor, but because he loved his Savior and he wanted to make much of Jesus. (coughs) They need to see the importance, the heart that I have for the house of God. They need to see holiness in my life. Holiness is important. What you do matters. Say the Lord will forgive. He does forgive you. I know he does. And I know he knows you're not going to be perfect. But you live your life and look and view the things that you do that go contrary to everything that God says. You'll never experience revival in your life. And you can never worship God without holiness. Holiness and worship go hand in hand. And then we need a heart for the word of God. Imagine what could happen in 2020. If we made these five things a priority in our lives, Victory Baptist Church could be a church that God uses greatly this upcoming year. But this is what happens: it's too much work. Giving sacrificially, I can't do that. You could. You really could. We all could. Outreach, I can't witness. Oh, you really can. Remember that power we talked about this morning. It's in you to help empower you to witness. You can. I can't make God's house a priority. i got too many things going. When my life slows down, I'll make God's house a priority. Guess what? Life will never slow down. You're always going to be busy. You're always going to have stuff to do. It's always that way. God deserves the first pickings of everything. We need holiness. But our flesh doesn't like holiness. Our flesh likes to hear the dirty jokes. Watch the things that a Christian has no business watching. Listen to the things that a Christian has no business listening to. But you say, I love God and I want to worship Him. Then you better do it His way and in holiness. And we need a heart for the Word of God. If it was easy to read God's Word, everybody would do it. This upcoming year, set a goal. Read your Bible every day next year. If it's five verses, one chapter, get in God's Word every day. Get a heart for the things of God. Cause Someday when we stand before him, we're going to wish we did all these things. And then it's going to be too late. But guess what? You still have time today. Let's do our very best for him. Let's live for him. What we see is the people of Israel, we see that God's judgment stayed away for a very long time. Why? Because some people did what was right in the midst. And I will just remind you of something. Our nation founded under godly principles, is far from God today. And God almost needs to offer Sodom and Gomorrah an apology for the things that America has done and is doing. What stays off the judgment of God, I believe? Christians living for God. You can do it today. You can live for Him. The world was wicked back then. The world's wicked today. Let's do our very best today, and let's have revival in 2020 and get a heart for the things of God.